My name's Joe, and this podcast is about wild adventure, travel, and the extraordinary people I meet along the way. I've created the freedom to do so through the steps my wife and I've made towards financial independence. Now I'd like to encourage you to live boldly, think outside the box, and gain control of your finances. So join me in taking the alternate. I said, it's okay, because of course, you know, I thought the job was steady income, secure job. So I transferred the balance and around four months after we relocated, I got laid off. I said, it's okay, because of course, you know, I thought the job was steady income, secure job. So I transferred the balance and around four months after we relocated, to the new location with our RV that I got laid off. This was in June. And not only did we have $30,000 on the credit card, we had also had some trips planned. My cousin, he's in the, he's in the Navy, and we had planned for this, this cruise to join him from Hawaii to San Diego on the, about a week-long cruise. So we had that scheduled, and we had some other summer travel planned and I got laid off and I didn't know what to do. Came completely out of the blue and I remember riding home that day and just feeling absolutely crushed and I rode home, arrived at the house and Katie was there and I remember this specifically. She was kind of confused but when she realized I was home early she was got a little excited said oh wow cool you're home early today great and I just remember just I probably had this face, just a flushed face, and I just told her, yeah, you know, I might want to sit down. I took it pretty heavily. It was just, you just, it's something that I don't, I, I don't think anybody should experience. I really love the company. It was a great job. I pictured myself working there for long term, and I had a great time there. They gave me a lot of time off. I had a lot of vacation. It was very flexible and it was a great team to work with. And so when I told Katie, she was crushed. I was crushed. Obviously, I wasn't looking for work because I was happy in the job. And it's something that I didn't expect to happen to me. So I took it as a sign of failure. And I didn't have a job lined up, no income. And then just knowing that I had $30,000 of credit card debt for our fifth wheel, I just felt really bad. And and I, I remember I just was laying in bed and Katie said, it's okay. I, I, mean, I wanted to start my job search right away that same day. I said, man, I got to get another job. We got to pay off all this debt. Like, oh my gosh, this can't be happening. And Katie was very supportive. She just said, said You'll, you could search for a job tomorrow, today. Just take it easy. You know, it was, was a long day. It was a tough day. So just, you know, it's okay to feel bad. So she helped me get through that. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I got laid off on a Friday and I started my job search just that next Saturday morning. I was searching around for just jobs in the area. I wasn't having too much luck. I, I might have searched around for maybe an hour and I could not make this up if I tried. It wasn't but a couple of hours into the job search when a former colleague from my first job out of college 
called me up and and told me about this great position and i was i was shocked i i didn't i didn't know if he knew something i didn't know if someone informed him that i got laid off i'm not sure but it it just he told me no he he just knew that they they were looking for some good help and he had worked with me in the past so he he recommended me to to the boss and uh and i said i don't know i mean it just, it just seemed almost too coincidental to be to be true but i came in and after a couple of days interviewed and made it through the first round interviewed again and before i knew it i had another job so it was a very short turnaround between the time i got laid off and the time i got my my new job after being laid off so it was great i I knew I had to get a job quickly because I didn't have any time to waste. I needed to get an income. And and Katie was doing really well, but she was booking weddings. We just hadn't carried any weddings out because people book the weddings six months in advance, a year in advance. So we didn't have any too many weddings lined up. The, with a new job, they asked me, when can I come work? And I said, I can come. It was, it was yeah, by, by this point, it was the end of June. And I told them... Well, I got some travel planned. I actually planned. I had that trip with my cousin. We were going to go on the aircraft carrier for about a week. And obviously, we had to fly all the way out to Hawaii to do so. And I thought, well, if I'm going to fly all the way to Hawaii, we're going to at least stay there for a week and enjoy it. It was our first time in Hawaii. So we made a, actually a great trip out of the whole thing. So I, I had at least two or three weeks that I needed off. And I, I knew I knew that I could asked for this because one, I was new to the company anyways, and I knew I could use the excuse that I had already had these commitments planned for. And if they wanted me to come on board, they would have to be accepting of this travel that I already had booked. And this is not something that I always had. I didn't never had this level of confidence to go to an employer and just ask for time off. That's one thing that the Appalachian Trail did. It gave me a high level of confidence and I could sit there in the interview and confidently tell them, hey, I, you know, I'd love to work here. This is a great company. This is a great position. I'd love to accept the offer. However, I have this, these trips planned and I can't start until August 22nd. So it was almost two months total since the time I accepted the job and they gave me a job offer to my first day on the job. It's always a hit or miss. You know, you, you gotta you gotta be willing to accept a denial. If the company does not accept your your request, you could either say, okay, well, um, you know, I'll, I'll go work somewhere else, or you can you could allow them to dictate your schedule and when you come in and when you work. So I knew I wanted to lay down the boundaries from the start. And I actually had done this with my, the prior employer. After finishing the AT, I knew I wanted to do some traveling. I knew I wanted to take other trips and do other adventures. So when I interviewed for my job, I asked them, what's the, what are the benefits like? What are the vacation days look like? And they gave me the standard offer that is given with most private U.S. American companies. It's two weeks. And from the start, I asked them, said, hey, look, you know, I love to travel. I like to take trips internationally and I'd like more time off. Now, if, if it means getting less pay or 
changing my schedule or however I needed to do it. I said, what can we do to give me some more time off? And they had never done that before, but uh, what they were able to offer me was the original two weeks paid off and they also gave me two weeks unpaid. And I was the happiest guy in the world when they told me that. So from day one on my previous employer, I had a month off. Now I got paid less than everybody else in the room, but based on how we were designing our lifestyle, it was okay for us because I could forego one paycheck to be able to travel to Switzerland to hike the Tour du Mont Blanc, for example. That was one of the trips I took during this time. So with a new job, I tried the same technique and it didn't work quite as well. They, I asked for at least two weeks more and they were able to give me one week, two weeks paid off and then one week unpaid. So I had a total of three from three weeks off from day one. And then they also had another benefit during our slow season, January through March, where you could take as much time unpaid. And when I heard about that, I said, okay, where do I sign up? Because I, I knew that I can continue to take my adventures with these benefits. And I actually used the winter leave to take a trip to Guatemala with Katie. And then this past year, I turned 30. So I was able to utilize that winter leave to take a, overall, it was in total, it was a five- week trip to New Zealand and we stop in Hong Kong and very briefly in Singapore on the way to New Zealand. And that was for my 30th birthday. So I, I knew I had to go hard for my 30th birthday, but taking the winter leave wouldn't even been possible if we didn't have our fan finances in order. So of course it was unpaid. So we, everybody, all of my colleagues were just questioning me, like, how are you able to take a, a month off? How are you able to take two weeks off unpaid? Because naturally they were accustomed to spending most of most or their entire paycheck so this kind of lifestyle was completely new to them and actually in my office i was the first person to ever utilize take advantage of the winter leave and i just said i mean it was just it was so validating for to be able to finally uh, to use a benefit like that because it just it was all those times being frugal and riding my bike to work and saving money and not buying unnecessary things. I was able to essentially cash out on that and take these couple of amazing trips during a time where other people had to stay in the office. I'm kind of known in my office as the weirdo who bikes to work and lives in an RV. They probably view me as a bit of a hippie. There'd been times where maybe they were, they got a little curious and they would ask me questions and try to just get a little bit of insight into my lifestyle. But I think it's always been hard to relate. And I, I just think that they didn't or they don't quite understand what it is that I'm doing. I think the idea of financial independence and saving enough money to be able to quit your job or to be able to go extended periods of time unpaid is. I think the idea is so hard to grasp. It has to be a big my, uh, mindset shift. Now, I'm not saying it's necessary to live in an RV. That's the path that Katie and I took. There's other things you can do, but maybe they view our lifestyle as they, they just can't do it. A little bit too much getting outside of their comfort zone. And I think if I try to understand why I'm okay with it, it, it probably be because there were so many times on the Appalachian Trail 
and in my travels where I'd be in unknown places where I was definitely outside my comfort zone. I mean, so living in an RV to me and cycling to work, even if it is maybe raining, to me that was, I view it as, oh, this is not bad. You know, I think I, I kind of now at this point, I, I gauge any level of discomfort or if I feel like nervous or scared to do something and I'm intimidated, I just think back to the AT and say, man, you know, I walked from Georgia to Maine and it rained on me a lot. And I went through all of these, you know, low times and I, I got through it and I survived and I made it. So I think you can make them without, you don't have to hike the Appalachian Trail to live in an RV or make some financially savvy decisions. But I think for, for me, that's what's given me the, almost like it's given me the permission to do a lot of these frugal moves. And I think them seeing me take advantage of winter leave and take some time off unpaid and take these big trips. And even now, soon I'll be quitting. By the time this is released, I will have quit this job. I think they slightly just don't understand it. just recently learned about retirement investment accounts and I was really being very aggressive with those accounts. I was trying my hardest. We were maxing out and I, I was maxing out my IRA. Katie was maxing out her IRA and I was investing in an HSA, which is a health savings account. And I was also trying to max out my 401k to the IRS maximum, which at the time was $18,000. So essentially we were Katie was working, I was working, and the majority of my paycheck was actually going to all these various retirement savings accounts. We knew the magic of compounding interest, and we wanted to take advantage of it early on. Regardless of whether I was maxing out all my retirement accounts and every one of my paychecks were really small, I was still able to pay off enough of the credit card that had the fifth wheel on it. By the time the 0% period would have ended, we would have paid it off. So I, I was still being aggressive on that, but I was okay with keeping the debt. So there's this great debate if, you know, if you have debt, is it is it okay to keep debt while you're saving? Is it okay to, if is there good debt? Is there bad debt? Normally, I'm very debt averse, which means I do not like having any debt. I don't want any credit card balances. I don't want to have any loans, any debt. I want to pay it off as soon as possible. And Katie's the same way. So, but this was one of those ones that it was zero interest and we were doing a great job of saving. And I said, Katie, but you know, if we don't max out our IRA this year, we're not going to be able to take advantage of those tax savings. So that the tax advantages of all these retirement accounts. But once I got laid off, the retirement savings completely went out the window. I just, I pictured ourselves with 20,000, 25,000, $30,000 of debt on a credit card collecting 24% interest. So as soon as I got laid off, I quickly switched all of my retirement savings to zero. We didn't save anything for this certain time period until we got that paid off. And we turned around and I wanna say we paid that $30,000 in less than a year. We definitely didn't pay interest and we just, everything we could. You know, we'd 
when we felt tempted to eat out, to go out to dinner, spend a bunch of money or, you know, go out to lunch. There was definitely times where I was at work and I would just want to go to Chipotle and, or go out after, go out after work and go to happy hour and, you know, spend some money on some drinks with my coworkers and, and other stuff like that. I would just do whatever I could just to save every penny. And, uh, and I knew I just didn't want to have that debt over our, over our heads. We did everything we could think of, but the biggest thing I think we did is we stopped doing the retirement savings. And that's another thing about another benefit of frugality is that when you have a lifestyle that's not so hard to keep up, it's easy to amass a lot of money. It's easy to save up a lot of money very quickly. So the $30,000 is a lot of money. And it is definitely a lot of money to pay off in in a year, but Katie was, was bringing in weddings and booking and making some, bringing in some income with her company. And as soon as I got my started getting my new paychecks with my new job, I was just taking every penny I could and just throwing it at that debt so we could get that paid off. Before I got really interested in finance, actually, I got very into travel hacking. And in a nutshell, travel hacking is the art of, you, you could group it into just generally using various techniques to save a lot of money on travel. Now, one of the varieties of travel hacking that I, I really got into was utilizing the credit card points and miles and using all of the frequent flyer programs and the hotel loyalty programs to collect a bunch of points and redeem them to offset or a lot of times eliminate my travel costs. So I went through a period and I'm, I'm still really into travel hacking. I've kind of toned it down a little bit. I, but I got pretty aggressive when I, when I first learned about it. And there was a time where I had 25 credit cards open and was just collecting all these points and miles. And I would redeem those points for free flights, free hotels. So that was the biggest thing that I did to save a lot of money on my travels. When you learn how to travel hack and you learned all the programs, I found myself flying business class, international first class. So there are all these luxurious flights, which I could never pay for out of pocket. Or if I could, I, I wouldn't because it's just simply overpriced. But I would find myself flying in premium class and then I'd get to the country and then I'd Uber to my couch surfer's house. So uh, I did stay at some hotels and that's another thing that it, depending on which country it is, uh, some some countries are more, are easier to utilize hotel points and they have a lot of uh, hotels that are, you're able to redeem points to stay at. So if it, it, those are usually the larger cities, like your Paris's, your London's, Hong Kong, Tokyo, and then a lot of these more obscure, smaller towns that don't maybe don't have as many chain hotels that I could redeem points for, I'd couch surf. And couch surf is essentially Airbnb, except you don't pay for it. So there's a vetting system where the people you there's they use a reference system where if you've stayed with someone, you could leave them uh, essentially a review. Uh, they call it reference on couch surfing. It's, it's a little hard to get started, but when I got started, I had a few of my friends actually leave me a reference so I could have some credibility. 
and I hit the ground running. I've couch surfed in Israel, in Turkey, in Austria, all over the country, the US. I've also couch surfed in New Zealand, uh, Hong Kong. So I've couch surfed everywhere and I am a huge advocate for it. It's very interesting. If you want to have ultimate privacy and have your own space, it's not ideal for that. So I would say definitely figure out how to stay in a in a hotel. But in my, if I could describe it, I think it's the best way to travel because you stay with locals, people that know their country, who take a lot of pride in their country, and they actually enjoy showing you around. They give you all of the insider knowledge. They take you to the best local restaurants, places that if you search on TripAdvisor or Yelp or just Google best restaurants, they they wouldn't come up because it's they're not touristy places. The benefit is that it does save you a lot of money, but the real benefit is that you get to really see a country in the eyes of a local. Another thing about travel is that depending on where you go, a lot of countries, it's your biggest expense is going to be your your flights and your accommodation and the travel in between the countries. So maybe your train tickets, uh, buses, and small domestic planes. So once I got the flights figured out and generally the the accommodation, I would use a mix of if it was a place that had a lot of great hostels, I'd, I wouldn't mind staying at a hostel. Sometimes if I wanted privacy at a hostel, I'd just book a private room at a hostel. and And those are still oftentimes half the price of a typical hotel. Or if I was going on a hiking trip, like I did the Tour de Mont Blanc, and I spent almost every day, I think it was a, it was about a 12-day trip, and out of those days, I think I spent 10 days in a tent. So, of course, I didn't pay for that. Basically, the only thing that I'm paying for is would be food. So, like, for example, I went to Thailand, and, and Southeast Asia is quite cheap. I was there for a little over two weeks, and I spent about $300. So I rented a motorcycle, and I rode the motorcycle around everywhere, but everywhere I stayed, it was very, very cheap. I just ate the local cuisine. You could get pad thai and thai tea and some mango sticky rice, and it'll cost you less than $2. Had a lot of noodles, a lot of rice, a lot of fresh fruits. Katie and I, we took our third anniversary. We went to Europe and we spent some time in Paris, London, and Dublin. And the whole entire trip was, including flights, business class flights and everything, was less than two grand. So I think most people, for two people traveling over to Europe, the flights alone will cost you more than two grand. So I think it's a bit of a misconception. People think that travel is very, very expensive. And it is. They're they're right when they say that. But the biggest expense, which is the flights, if you can get that handled and learn a little bit about travel hacking, I think uh, traveling is actually a lot cheaper than people realize. So after doing the AT and getting real jobs and I, Katie and I just 
learned uh, learned about living in an RV and saving up money and just saving up for other adventures. I, I knew deep down inside, I, being in, on a trail for extended amount of time, aka through hiking, was still always inside me. Like I always wanted to still do that. But seven years now since I've gotten back from the Appalachian Trail, but I was I was focused. I knew that long term, if I wanted to do more adventures like this, Katie and I, if we wanted to have a, a life more on our terms and not feeling like we had to go to a job that wasn't necessarily our favorite uh, way to spend our day, I knew I had to, we had to save up some money. So for the last five or so years, I was very, very focused and we were just saving as much as we could. But also I was helping Katie build her company. So I wanted to take a big trip, but I knew during this season, the se- it wasn't time. I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize my paycheck. So with having the time off, I think I'm very, I'm very, I was very satisfied and pretty grateful that I had enough time to take those trips. I think if it wasn't for those trips, I would have probably quit my job a lot earlier and then gone on to through hike another trail. But I think that was, it was just enough to keep me coming back for more to work, but it was still enough time off to where I could leave the country for two, three weeks and have a great time and come back and and just feel almost reset. So anytime that I have an opportunity to pick up some jobs out of state, I raise my hand, I say, I'll go, you know, so with my, with my current job, I've been able to do some site visits in Georgia and New York, Texas. I would always want to take, get the opportunity with this job to go out West and head to some proper mountains. So a couple of times I had, uh, a job came up and it was in Wyoming and I jumped on that so fast. So I got them to somehow allow me to fly all the way out from Florida to Wyoming to do a site visit. And I remember I, I scheduled the site visit strategically on, on a Friday. So I flew out early, early Friday. I did the site, I, I did the job and I had packed my hiking backpack. And right after the job, I just headed straight. I just beelined it towards the mountains. And that was the first time visiting. I was, it was the first time in the, in the state of Wyoming. And I went straight. I was probably about five and a half hours from Grand Tetons. And it was in the spring. So the snow was still covering the ground. But I knew I wanted to see this park. And I spent the rest of the entire weekend. I snowshoed for the first time. And I snow camped for the first time. So I would find myself with opportunities like this to travel for work and take some jobs like that. So when six jobs came up in Montana, I had to do them. So I was there at the, in the end of September, first week of October. So I did them on Monday and Tuesday, but I left the week before on a Friday and I spent the whole entire weekend backpacking around Glacier National Park. And when I saw that state, I just fell in love. It was, uh, to this day, it's still the, the most scenic state in the U.S. I've ever been to. So, And when I saw Montana, I, I just, after I came back from there, I talked with Katie and I said, dear, we got to move here. So we, we had already been looking for a change. We wanted to move out west. That way I could live in a place where I would feel truly content with mountains so I could go outside my doorstep and do some hikes. But Katie also 
had her company, she's, she already had her company built up to a level that she couldn't just let it leave it behind in Florida. So we, once we realized that Montana was a huge, huge, uh, destination wedding location, we said, man, this, this might just be the perfect place to where I could get what I want. Katie can get what she wants. And we are both happy with Florida being very slow during the winters. Oftentimes we have a couple of months where we're kind of free with, with our, with the wedding planning business. So we knew we could at least try to go to Montana for the summer while we're slow here in Florida. And if it didn't work, we could always come back and just continue with what we're doing in Florida. So there was, our plan was to go to Montana do a wedding show, see if we can book any weddings out there and come back in 2020 to hopefully carry out a few weddings that we had booked. Once we did the wedding show, we just fell in love with the the wedding industry over there. We met all kinds of great vendors. We toured all kinds of amazing venues. We actually ended up booking a handful of weddings. We booked three for 2019 this summer. We started to already book weddings for 2020. So, I had already had an itch to hike this trail called the Continental Divide Trail. And I was going to hike it in 2020 because I I knew eventually if everything worked out according to plan, we'd eventually end up relocating full-time to Montana. And I thought it would be amazing if I could just walk to Montana. So the Continental Divide stretches from Mexico to Montana. It's 3,100 miles and it actually ends on the ends at the border of Montana and Canada. So I thought <clears throat> it would just be amazing to hike this trail in 2020. And that was the original plan. But based on how many weddings we booked and what we're projecting, I, I, I told Katie, I said, I don't want to leave you and with, with you in Montana with a bunch of weddings booked. So this year we had already blocked off a lot of the summer in Florida to travel together or to try to go out west to see if we can book some weddings. After much, much thought and many nights staying up, not able to sleep, not being sure what to do, we and a lot of talks with Katie, I decided to this year actually hike the Continental Divide Trail from Mexico to Canada and that and start our life in Montana. So we'll be in Montana this summer. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll arrive hopefully the beginning of August and we'll be there through September. And Katie will be there July through September so she can carry out the few weddings she already has booked. And then we'll come back to Florida in the fall of 2019 to finish our Florida weddings. 2020 will be full-time in Montana if everything goes according to plan. Thanks for listening to Taking the Alternate. If you'd like to follow along and receive the latest trail updates, subscribe on our website at www.takingthealternate.com. But don't worry, in my upcoming trip, I'll be walking 25 miles a day, so I won't clutter your inbox. For the most current trail experiences, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Taking the Alternate. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your podcast junkie friends. And if you have any hiking or finance-related questions, let us know. I'd love to answer them on a future episode. This show wouldn't be possible without my creative director, Kenny Rodriguez. I love you, man. 
and my executive producer and incredible wife, Katie. You guys are amazing. Thanks again for spending your limited time with me. I appreciate all the support in taking the alternate.